Hey everyone, it's Sam. And David. I hope everything is going well on your end. On our end, where David and I live, there is an incredibly important indigenous-led uprising happening here and across all of so-called Canada. Yeah, I mean, I don't think either of us have seen anything on this scale happen before in our lifetimes. Not at all. This is so incredibly inspiring and exciting right now. Yeah, and so we're, we're going to go straight into the interview. But before doing that, just want to urge everybody listening who isn't already familiar with the struggle uh, to learn more. Follow the links in the show notes. And if you are familiar with the struggle, to get involved wherever you live answering the, the call for solidarity that's gone out. So just to recap for folks who weren't paying attention, familiarize yourself with the struggle and get involved. And here's the interview. Hi. Hey, it's uh, the Montreal folks again. Hey. hey. Okay, just one sec. I'm just going to go into my truck. Okay. All right, can you hear me all right? Yeah, it sounds really good. And yeah, so the the other last thing before we get rolling is just we normally start the show by inviting our guests to introduce themselves. And um, like some people are like, okay. my name's Sam and I love cats. And then other people give us a whole long description of who they are. So it's totally up to you. <laughs> yeah, the, um, yeah the, format, the format's just saying your name and then a bit about yourself. Yeah. Okay. So whenever, whenever you're ready, we can just start if you feel comfortable with that. Sure. Jennifer Wickham sit me. Get him done is then. My name is Jennifer Wickham. I'm a Gidimden member of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. I come from Cassia, which is the Grizzly Bear House, and I am the media coordinator for the Gidimden Camp. Um, well, thank you so much for taking this time to talk with us. I can only imagine how busy you are right now and how many media requests you're getting, so we're really appreciative that you're talking with us today. And so I was hoping we can just start by talking a bit about the history of both the Unistoten and Gedemden camps. You know, how, how did they first come to be? Well, Unistoten has been occupying their traditional territories for about 10 years. And it was the women of the clan. So Frida Houston, I'm sure people are familiar. She is the spokesperson for the Unistoten, her and some of her family members were really inspired by her grandmother to go back out and occupy their territory. So the Unistoten over the last 10 years have built a home out there. They now have a healing center where they do traditional land-based healing with community members. And um, it's really grown exponentially in in the last few years and it was in 2018 that Frida and her partner at the time Smokokem Warner were served with an injunction notice from Coastal Gaslink and they were named as the two defendants as well as Jane Doe and John Doe that happened December 14th, 2018. And immediately after that, the Gidimden clan had a meeting and decided to stand in solidarity with the Unistoten. So each house group has territory that they're responsible for. 
And the Unistatan territory right across the river is Gidamdan territory. And that territory belongs to Cassia, which is the house that I belong to. And so we decided that in order to stand up for our relatives, that we would start our own camp, the Gidamdan camp at 44 kilometer, which is where there's a junction in the road where you turn off to go up to Unistotan. And um, we ended up having a smoke feast, which is a part of our traditional hereditary governance system as a way to announce business taking place. And all the clans in the feast hall stood up to support us in our decision to go and defend the Unistotan and to stand in solidarity with them. And so by December 17th, we had a couple of army tents. <laughs> we went out and we started a, our Gidamdang camp at 44 kilometers. And um, we haven't backed down from that position. The Unistotan, for a really long time, were the only ones out on the territory. My sister, Slato, Molly Wickham, and her family moved out to our territory to live out on the land in 2014. And so this project really impacts people's daily lives. So it's not an issue of, you know, we, we want to go fishing out on the river or some sort of leisurely activity. There are people that are actually living out on the territory and depend on the territory for their life. So everything that they eat is harvested from the territory. All their moose meat, their fish, their berries, their medicines. And that's also incorporated in the healing center land-based programming is accessing all of the territory for the people that are out there and um, something people might be more familiar with is the raid that happened on Gidam Den Camp on January 7th 2019 where our people were forcibly removed from our territory and we later learned that the RCMP had approved lethal overwatch so they had snipers um, they had the tactical teams carrying assault rifles they had expanded their interim injunction to include the Gidamdang camp because previously it had only included the Unistotan territory. Um, they established their CISO, which is the Community Industry Safety Office, at 29 kilometer. Since then, we've been under surveillance of the RCMP, and there's daily harassment that continues and have there been conflicts like this before the coastal gasling pipeline that have come up yeah so there have been several proposed pipeline projects that have wanted to drill underneath the headwaters so the river there we call Wadzinkwa which is the main salmon spawning river for the entire territory and, yeah, so the big one was the Embridge Pipeline, the proposed Embridge Pipeline, which was a bitumen pipeline. And then after that, there was the Pacific Trails Pipeline, which is a fracked gas pipeline. And now we have Coastal Gas Link. And so we know from 
other agreements that we've seen that the people that have signed on to these pipelines have agreed that they would be open to an energy corridor. And so we know that if one pipeline is approved and goes through, then more will follow. And we heard rumblings a couple of months ago that the Pacific Trails Pipeline, which had previously lost investments and so didn't proceed, were trying to get investors again because they thought that Coastal Gas Link was going to go through and then that would mitigate their right-of-way to be able to put the Pacific Trails Pipeline through. But yeah, there's definitely other proposed pipelines that have tried in the past, and so that's why we need to be adamant in our stance and our jurisdiction over our territories, because one pipeline would be devastating to our territories, and multiple pipelines would make it a complete wasteland. In the reporting on this, it's been pretty clear that the corporate media is taking advantage of widespread ignorance among settlers about the difference between the hereditary and the band council chiefs. Mm-hmm. For, for people who've been reading mainstream media sources about this struggle, what do you think they need to know about these things? So the hereditary system, which has been governing our people for millennia, has proven in the highest courts in Canada, the Supreme Court of Canada, that it's our hereditary chiefs that have jurisdiction over our territory. And the imposed Indian Act chief and council, which is the band system, only has jurisdiction over the reserves. And they were put in place as a way to manage things like housing and water, sort of the everyday logistics of people being forced to live on the reserve. So that governance system was something that was imposed on our people. They have never been given jurisdiction to speak on behalf of our entire territory. That has been proven time and time again through the court system that it is our traditional system that has jurisdiction. Yeah, and so, you know, this struggle has been going on for a long time. Can you talk a bit about some of the legal avenues that the chiefs turned to back in the 80s and 90s? So the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, along with the Gitsan hereditary chiefs, took their case to the courts. And originally, the decision was against them in the B.C. Supreme Court. And so they appealed it and took it to the Supreme Court of Canada And they won that court case in 1997. And the big takeaway from that court case was that our oral histories were admissible in court. So previous to that, no Indigenous oral histories were admissible as evidence. And so that was one win that came out of that court case. And the other one, the important one in this struggle right now, is that the Wet'suwet'en and Gitsan hereditary chiefs had never ceded their title. So they maintained their title and jurisdiction over their territories. And for the Wet'suwet'en, that's 22,000 square kilometers. So moving back to the present moment, you know, what's going on in that territory, uh, in January, the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs issued an eviction notice to Coastal Gas Link, and the RCMP invaded Wet'suwet'en territory soon after, you know, raiding the camps, arresting multiple people. Uh, And this came 
almost exactly a year after the RCMP's last raid to facilitate coastal gas link workers entering the territory. What has the impact of these raids been, you know, of having RCMP and coastal gas link on your territory? The last year has been really, really devastating for our communities and for our people that are out on the territory. They suffered daily harassment and intimidation by the RCMP. After the raid last year, after January 7th of 2019, we actually had coastal gas link security, private security, threatening to arrest people that were on the road. My sister would be in her home out on the territory and she would wake up in the morning and there was RCMP parked at the end of her driveway. She was constantly threatened with arrest. People that were out on our territory, our guests, as well as our our membership were constantly harassed by RCMP, pulled over for no reason, having their vehicles towed, being threatened with arrest. It was just nonstop. Um, People would be going out to harvest medicines or pick berries and they would have RCMP or CGL security follow them, park there and watch them and harass them while we were conducting our traditional activities out on the land. There have been really huge impacts to our wildlife. So our moose populations, our grizzly bear habitat, the destruction and desecration of our cultural sites, one of them being the Queese War Trail that they have bulldozed over. There have been artifacts found at the Camp 9A site, which is where they have their proposed man camp site. They have bulldozed through active trap lines and prevented people from going and checking their traps, which means that there could have been animals suffering in those traps. They went in and bulldozed our Gidimdan camp, and the police facilitated that. There's currently a civil court case going on for the destruction of private property. The list just goes on and on of the things that we have had to endure and deal with, you know, during that one year in between the two raids. It's just been an ongoing assault on our people. Like, the raid didn't end on January 7th of last year. It continued. So... Recently, it made headlines that the RCMP had authorized lethal overwatch during the raid last year, which means that they're prepared to kill people. Can you put this into context for listeners who have maybe never heard of the RCMP? So the RCMP were established in Canada as a police force specifically designed to manage the First Nations population. So they were the ones who were sent out and forced our people off of their territories where they were living and forced them onto reserves. The RCMP were the ones who went and stole all of the children and sent them to residential schools. They historically and currently will assist in the theft of our children through the Ministry of Children and Family Development. And now, of course, we're seeing them fulfilling that historic role in escorting industry into our territories as well. So the entire history of the RCMP 
is built around access to our land and our resources. So I've, I've noticed that both the government and also corporate media have been really actively obscuring the demands mm-hmm. uh, that the Wet'suwet'en chiefs have made very clear. Can you, can you clarify mm-hmm. what these are, especially given this misinformation campaign? So the hereditary chiefs have been adamant that they are not willing to have nation-to-nation discussions while under the gun. And so they are asking very clearly to the government to have the RCMP detachment at 29 kilometer removed from our territory and the CERG, which are the E division of the RCMP, cease patrols on our territory so that we can have free and open conversations with the government. You can't enter into any discussions in good faith while our people are under constant threat of the RCMP. The other condition that they have asked for is that coastal gas links stop work while we're having these nation-to-nation discussions. You know, legal precedent shows that if there is title established, then any project that is currently on their territory, they will have to go back and have free prior and informed consent. And the province has already agreed to have these discussions with us about how we are going to implement our rights and title, but they have already approved this project knowing that we demand free prior and informed consent for any project in our territory. And the province of British Columbia has already adopted UNDRIP, which is the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, which very clearly states that any project within our territories requires free, prior, and informed consent. So the province is saying one thing and acting in a completely opposite way. So after the RCMP incursion and the government's failure to meet the demands, a call for solidarity came from the Unistoten and Gedendem camp to shut down Canada. When the call first went out, did you have any sense of the uprising that was going to emerge? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the response from Indigenous people and settler people all across so-called Canada has been overwhelming and humbling and inspiring. I don't think, I don't think that any of us, um, I don't think any of us realized how much support was actually out there until this happened. I know that it was really eye-opening for our hereditary chiefs when we took our recent trip out to Mohawk Territory in Tyndamega and Kahnawake to see the kind of support and solidarity that was happening all across the country and to meet the people on the ground and to shake their hands and thank them for what they're doing. We definitely wouldn't be in the position that we are right now if it wasn't for our allies like the Mohawks that are standing up and the youth, the Indigenous youth all across Canada that are having, using their voices for their future and that are taking a stand and fighting back against the government who is clearly not following their own laws 
and their own legal precedents. It's really, I feel like a huge sense of relief in knowing that other people care and understand how much we've been going through and are willing to back us up and stand with us and educate themselves and their peers and their communities. You know, it feels like we've been doing this for so long on our own. And I know that Unistoten has been doing it for a lot longer. And it's difficult when you're in an isolated community like we are to to get the message that people are out there and they're standing with us and they're they're risking their own freedom because they understand that what happens to one of us happens to all of us. And that's really encouraging. And I think that it's really um, empowering for hereditary chiefs to see that and to see people out on the front lines and saying, you can't push these people around. You can't force them off of their territories. You can't force a project through. We have sovereignty and we have jurisdiction. And to know that that message is being heard and being supported is, is really, it's kind of surreal to be sitting here in Smithers, <laughs> seeing all the actions that are taking place and people supporting us. Yeah, I mean, the shutdown Canada actions that are happening faster than I can even keep track of, in a lot of ways, it sort of seems unprecedented. And I'm wondering what histories of resistance are at the front of your mind as you're watching this all unfold. Oh my God, I haven't had much time to think. (laughs) Um, Certainly, we have a history of resistance in Canada and definitely... Things like Oka come to mind, Gustafson Lake come to mind, and current resistance is happening as well. You know, the Sequatmic people in Blue River, you know, with the tiny house warriors, and even in the north here, you know, we've seen more recent resistance to industry, such as the Taltam people and the Shell Project. And resistances in Haida Gwaii to logging and on the coast with the fish farms. And, you know, this this isn't a new fight for Indigenous people. This has been ongoing since contact. And we know that this has been, like, the main drive for Canada to displace us and dispossess us of our land so that they can have access to our resources. This isn't new. This has been something that's been going on ever since contact first happened. And so for a lot of these people and a lot of these communities, I think everything just came together in the perfect way for people to unite and stand together. And every Indigenous person across Turtle Island knows what it is that we're feeling and what we're going through. So, yeah, I I, I guess on one hand, I'm not surprised. Um, the thing that is surprising is the unity of actions that are happening. It's, it's, it's overwhelming, and I get really emotional when I talk about it because I know that there are people that are out there taking time away from their families, from their jobs, from their children, and are doing that all in support of the fight that we are in because they recognize that we're all connected. And that means a lot. 
And on that note of solidarity, this uprising is ongoing. It seems like every few hours there's a new development and a new solidarity action. If people want to keep up on what's happening and get involved, what's the best way for them to do that? So on our Facebook page, we have an ongoing event. It's pinned to the top of our page and people can comment or message with their solidarity events and it will be added to the description of the event so that other people can go and look and see if there's something happening in their community. And the solidarity events are a really important piece. It's keeping the pressure on the government to do the right thing. It's also a good way to educate the broader community about what's happening. And I always want to encourage other Indigenous people to start enforcing their laws and reoccupying their territories. And for allies and settlers, I think it's really important to support those actions wherever it is that you are. So if you're living in Anishinaabe territory or Mohawk territory or Coast Salish territory, Sequatmik territory, building those relationships is going to be really key because this is a turning point in our history and we need all our Indigenous people to be able to implement their jurisdiction on their lands. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I know that you are incredibly busy and David and I are both really grateful for the time that you've just taken. You bet. Trafe Podcast is Sam Bick and David Zimmerman. A huge thanks to CKUT 90.3 FM, where we record this podcast under the shadow of the giant cross of secularism on occupied Ganyagahaga territory. Thanks as always to Sax Syndrome and SoCalled for the music you heard in the episode, and to everybody who helps make Trafe Podcast happen. You can check us out on the social medias at Trafe, T-R-E-Y-F, on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. Please send any comments, suggestions, or hate mail to trayofpodcast at gmail.com. More episodes soon.